Welcome back to Dispatch. This is a bonus edition this week featuring the full interview that I conducted with Dr. Delia Fahmi. She is an associate professor of political science at Long Island University and she was talking to me about the death this week of a 24-year-old filmmaker in Egypt's Torah prison. His name was Shadi Habash and he's been held in prison for more than two years for a music video that he directed called Balaha which was critical of Egypt's president Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. A few days ago, Habash was found dead in his prison cell. Authorities in Egypt say that he died after mistakenly drinking hand sanitizer, thinking it was water, but his family, as well as human rights advocates, pinned the blame on Egyptian authorities, saying that this is just the latest victim of prisoner abuse and mistreatment in Egypt. Dr. Fami, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you for being with us. What can you tell us about Shadi Habash's case and his death? Shadi Habash, who died on May 2nd, um, was a 24-year-old director and filmmaker. He died in Cairo's Torah prison. He was being illegally held in pretrial detention, um, illegally because he had already passed the maximum time period of being held in pretrial detention. He had been there for over 26 months. Um, he was not the first and unfortunately will not be the last. Um, we have seen this pattern of internationally recognized and non-recognized individuals who have been held in pre-trial detention die of medical neglect. Shadi's death was the third in 10 months amongst prisoners of conscience in Torah prison, cell block four. He was preceded by Mustafa Qasim, an Egyptian American, and Omar Adel, a 29-year-old. This is really a glaring indictment of Egypt's justice system, which has over the past seven years routinely deployed pretrial detention and medical neglect to retaliate against critics or opponents of President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi's government. For over several hours, Shadi's cellmates desperately tried to summon medical help, but were ignored by prison officials. This type of wanton cruelty, ignoring actually letting him die is not exceptional. This has been the pattern of the past few years in Egypt. And without any due process, pretrial detention has been, has been used to leave individuals in appalling conditions that include the deliberate withholding of healthcare, which is what happened to both Shadi and to Mustafa Qasim and Omar Adel. As you mentioned, with those three uh, in particular, just over the last few months, uh, as well as obviously, famously, the death of former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi, who uh, activists say was a lot to do with his condition in prison and his lack of access to health care. Just how bad are these conditions in Egypt's prisons today? Egypt's prison conditions are one of the worst in the world. They have been documented by Human Rights Watch, by Amnesty International, by Human Rights First, and by Egypt's own internal um, human rights organizations as um, being cramped quarters, denying proper nutrition, denying medical care, denying access to attorneys, denying access to families. And we have seen this since the 2003 Egyptian military coup in Egypt. Um, it, within the first year, there were estimates of 42,000 arrests and prisoners of conscience coming into Egypt's prison system. Since then, 
there are reports that there are upwards of now 80,000 political prisoners in Egypt. Since 2003, the Egyptian government has to, had to build between 16 and 23 new prisons to accommodate the sheer volume of new prisoners. These are prisoners of conscience. These are prison, political prisoners. These are those who have been arrested for saying something against the state. One of the charges against Shadi or the late Shadi Habash and his colleagues in his trial was that they were saying things against the state, was against the national interest, was against security, which could elicit terrorism charges. Now remember, Shadi was never tried. He's still in pretrial detention and pretrial investigation. But these, this language says that anyone um, who says anything against the state, outside of the state narrative, and in this case, mocking the presidency, which is essentially what artists do, right? They're satirists. They reflect on the conditions, social conditions. And so what we're seeing is that this pretrial detention has particularly been targeting journalists and more recently artists who are reflecting on the state of, 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 this, um, of Egyptian civil and political life. Now, pre-trial detention being used in punitive measures is not new to Egypt. If you look at the evolution of the law, Article 142 of Egypt's criminal pr procedure code establishes the guidelines for remand, which means an individual who has been arrested can be initially de detained, even before being charged. And this was for 15 days. Um, this could be renewed twice for up to 45 days if a judge finds that investigations are not yet complete after 45 days. But if a detainee is held for a total of three months, Article 143 mandates that they have to actually be either released or placed in an investigation. Now, in September of 2013, a few months after the military coup, Article 143 was amended by Interim President Adli Mansour, and it says that 45-day periods as the standard renewal periods, not 15 anymore, would be re removed over the two-year maximum time limit. And so, there was a 45-day process of renewal. And so what happens is that individuals were in pretrial detention without being tried. There are not cases against them. They're not tried. And so they'll be placed in 45-day renewal cycles. Now, this has the mental and psychological torture effects of uncertainty that prisoners have to deal with, as well as their families. And so you could be held up to two years with no charges against you in this 45-day cycle. But today what we're seeing is that the, the two-year time limit has been exceeded and continues to become exceeded without real accountability from the judiciary against what is happening by, um, by the police and the courts. And international cries are, are continuing to be uh, falling on deaf ears, especially inside of Egypt. And so what we're seeing is this cycle of pretrial detention for anything having to deal with statements against the state, jokes against the state, a music video against the state, producing content against the state, mocking the state. If you, for example, the law that was passed two years ago that anyone whose social media profile has more than 5,000 followers, can be arbitrarily blocked, you're seeing that there's such a clampdown 
on any voices of expression from within Egypt, really resulting in the chilling effect that leads to the silencing of activists, artists, individuals, and journalists. I remember last year when President Abdel Fattah Sisi uh, took part in that, you know, notorious 60 Minutes interview when he was asked about the issue of political prisoners, prisoners of conscience. He said blanket that there were no prisoners of conscience or political prisoners in Egypt. Um, but then we look at that figure, that 40 to 60,000 that a lot of human rights organizations um, that quote, who are these people? Um, people such as, as, as Habash, you know, he was charged with uh, terrorism or, t- or joining a terrorist organization, spreading fake news and misinformation, which is, seems to be a very common charge that's leveled at a lot of people being uh, arrested in recent times in Egypt. Who are these people that are being arrested and why are is the state rounding them up? So according to the Egyptian Center for Economic and Social Rights, they estimate that between July 2013 and May 15, 2014, so really within the first year of um, post-military coup Egypt, um, 42,000 individuals were arrested primarily for being Muslim Brotherhood supporters, for being activists, journalists, and political dissidents of all stripes. It moved away from being simply the arrest and drowning up of Islamists to um, anyone who had a voice outside of the mainstreaming of the state. So it moved to secularists and leftists and then activists, even those who stood with the military coup. And so you see much of the young um, who were part of the pro-military coup, um, wanting the removal of President Morsi, are now all in prison or have been in cycles of detention since 2015. Um, And today, the latest rung we have is the clampdown on artists and journalists, writers, and anyone who actually helps produce content. So people who were um, satirically producing content for Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, or or today TikTok, that mocks the situation of everyday life in Egypt are now also being arrested. So what it went to the very easy targets of um, Islamist sympathizers or Muslim Brotherhood sympathizers now extends to the entire swath of Egyptian life, moving all the way to those who are um, simple individuals um, who are artistically producing content um, or voicing their opinions about everyday life in Egypt, even if it's not particularly critical of the president, if it's for today, for example, critical of the coronavirus um, pandemic that's swiping through Egypt that is not being documented or information is not being released. If someone comes out and satirically says something about coronavirus spreading in Egypt, they can be arrested because they are saying something that defames the defaces the, the, the name of the Egyptian state. This week we heard about a, another case of uh, an Egyptian woman named, by the name of Marwa Arafa whose husband said that she had disappeared two weeks ago and only to find out that she had shown up uh, this week in pretrial uh, court. Uh, what happens to these Egyptians once they enter into the legal system, once they're accused of something and then brought before a pretrial court. What is the course of action legally? What rights do they have to be able to challenge some of these charges? So again, pretrial detention 
is a, is a kind of suspended animation where you are basically being presumed guilty before innocent and placed in detention for up to two years, and today is bypassing two years, without being given the opportunity to know the charges against you and actually be able to put forth a defense. So it leaves all of these individuals in suspended animation in prison where you actually don't have legal rights because they're constantly being renewed against you. And so you can't work within the system because the system is designed at that moment to work against you. What this does and the aim of this is to have a chilling effect on society so that you don't enter into the legal limbo. Um, Marwa was disappeared for two weeks. She's not the first and she's not the last. We know that there have been 1,250 people so far this year who have been disappeared. They have been disappeared either in, in, in prisons or in basements of Egyptian jails. And there is very little information until you actually make your first appearance. And so families have no idea if their mem family members are, are dead or if they're in prison somewhere or if they're being tortured. This kind of psychological chilling effect actually affects society in that no one dares to say anything outside of the state mantra. It leaves them completely silenced in terms of what they can think even about civil society, what they can retweet, what they can post, because the ramifications are so harsh. It's not that you'll be issued a summons, it's that you can be disappeared. You can be stuck in pretrial detention for years and your family for a very long time will either not know where you are or if they do finally know where you are, have very little access to you. Your lawyers will have very little access to you and you can't put together a viable defense when you have not legally been charged. So what's happening today is that you have an entire population sitting in prison who's presumed guilty before innocent. There was a report that was released this week uh, by two Washington-based think tanks, the Project on Middle East Democracy and the Center for International Policy. In that report, they suggested that the U.S.'s support, uh, almost unconditional support for Egypt's government, allows that government to basically... Uh, act with seeming invincibility or, or impunity. Do you, is there a role for Donald Trump's administration to play in pressuring Egypt on this issue, in particular the issue of political prisoners? And are we likely to see that happen? You, you have to recall that President Trump refers to President Sisi as his favorite dictator. Um, while there was, while the at the height of the remand of civil liberties in Egypt, President Trump was saying that President Sisi is doing a great job. President Trump has not spoken in the language of human rights and democracy when it comes to Egypt since he came into office. You have to remember that Rim Dusuki, an Egyptian American from Pennsylvania, was held in Egypt's prisons for 301 days for a Facebook page or posting to a Facebook page 
critical of the countries of Egypt's authoritarian president. She was held, an American was held for 301 days and the president said nothing and she was finally released just this week um, after a little bit of pressure. You also have to remember that Americans have died in Egypt's prisons. Earlier this year, we saw the death of an, of an Egyptian American. Um, there are seven Americans currently being held in Egypt's prisons and the president does not advocate for them. And so when you think about what then he would advocate for for Egypt in general, for a very long time, Egypt has been seen through the prism historically of democracy versus stability. Democracy is messy. We don't want messiness. We will take authoritarian clamp down because it's presumed of as stabilizing the region. But what we've seen since 2013 is that this harsh clampdown is actually not leading to a stable Egypt and to a stable region. The harsh clampdown has led to such civil liberties and injustice that for a long time we saw a spike, for example, into acts of terrorism in Egypt. You're seeing an economy that's extremely fragile. When just this week, Egypt is asking and is expecting to secure and borrow $2.7 billion from the IMF to bolster its economy when tourism is, is, is at an all-time low because of the COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic. When you're seeing that 97 um, tourists have left Egypt con um, testing positive, when you're seeing that Egyptian life is struggling because of floating the Egyptian pound for tripling the internal debt of the country, tripling the external loans of the country. The everyday cost of life has more than doubled Egyptian. So when you have a fragile economy, when you have a fragile civil society, and then you have extreme government repression, you actually don't have the stability or the so-called stability of authoritarianism that we once took for granted of saying, democracy is messy, let's accept this. President Trump continues to accept the narrative that authoritarianism is in his best interest. But what we also in the streets saw in the streets of Egypt in 2011 is that the democratic aspiration of everyday individuals can't be crushed forever. And once the fear barrier was broken, there has to be an acceptance that human rights, civil liberties, freedom of expression are the route to long-term stability. And so what we're seeing is that the economic, social, and political risk that the international community has taken on being silent on what's happening in Egypt could very soon lead to a country that is, could possibly fail, whose economy is too fragile, and whose people might reach a breaking point in terms of the extreme levels of repression that they, that they experience today. Dr. Fahmy, finally, what is the course of action, in your opinion, for the human rights advocates, for the activists, for the families of people like Shadi Habash and Marwa Arafa, trying to fight for this issue and to highlight the, uh, the, the plight of political prisoners in Egypt. What is their course of action within the country, but also internationally, to try and bring about some sort of change? We have seen that most of these stories have... Um, garnered international pressure and international pressure has possibly led to the release of some political prisoners. But the, they are those political prisoners who do have international notoriety. But for the everyday Egyptian who doesn't have international notoriety, doesn't have international 
um, recognition or an advocacy group working for them. It's those voiceless individuals that are the most desperate. And so if we think about what really needs to be done, there has to be a complete release of political prisoners. And then we need to start talking in the language of transitional justice, that there has to be a mechanism and a way put forth as was beginning to be instituted after the 2011 revolution with, you know, for example, the trials of President Mubarak, right? The seizing of his assets. There was, there was an, a moment of transitional justice holding individuals into account so that the country could move forward. That was erased, not just erased, it was regressed to the elimination of all of those verdicts, the return of all of that wealth, not to the people, but to those who had stolen it. And so the language of transitional justice to move to a just government, just society, a fledgling civil society, to moving Egypt on the right track has been completely erased. And so we have to return to that path of releasing political prisoners, moving towards transitional justice, having accountability, having a level of good governance. And those four steps cannot happen until there is an embrace of the process of democratization, civil liberties, and the voice of individuals. Egypt is on the extreme opposite route, where it's continuing to increase the regression, the clampdown, the silencing, the imprisonment, the torture, the disappearance, and the crippling economy through really bad policy decisions that don't invest in infrastructure, rather invest in pie in the sky projects that are not for the people, but for our small elite class of crony capitalists tied to the government and in no way tied to the growth of Egyptian civil society. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Of course, you can keep up to date with all of our news coverage throughout the week by heading along to our website at middleeastdie.net.